the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. I I always stumble over that. I will have it tattooed on my arm or something. Um, <laughs> welcome to a rainy, hot Britain on a sultry Thursday afternoon. Oh, yeah. and welcome to Welcome to dog. my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly barks at anything. It's own reflection, pigeons, blowing leaves in the wind. So yeah, he's probably barking at the rain. You're well protected. <laughs> was that an Aussie Osborne? No, Bark at the Moon was an Aussie Osborne. Bark at the Moon, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, Ben, it's not a job. And I'm not going to pretend it is a job or a weird experience, weird thing or a weird coincidence. But... After we did the episode on Alien Pets, which was last week, uh, if you haven't listened to it, go back, check it out. I uh, I recorded uh, a film that was on Channel 4. So obviously it's on Channel 4, means it's been out for a while. Mm. And I, I, it was uh, The Predator, you know, the 20, mm. 2018, 2019 version. Oh, the reboot, which, yeah. Yeah, which I'd not seen because the reviews of it were just terrible and mm. I thought uh, I'm not going to watch it same uh, here on, I've not seen it yeah yeah but it was on channel 4 so I put it on and uh, it's got alien pets in no has <laughs> yeah. it really yeah the predator brings his alien hunting dogs with him of course he does of course he which does is, which is quite weird and uh, yeah so not a big jot a coincidence but I thought it was weird that you know it wasn't like it's new out or anything so i was going oh look there's an alien pet we just did that so that that was odd and actually you know what i my tolerance level is very high for sci-fi and horror and it wasn't as bad as i was expecting okay because i I, I was expecting bad i mean it's not great but and i think it depends on your investment in the franchise if it had been an alien movie i would have been probably scathing about it but i'm not that invested in predator so i i quite enjoyed it oh very good okay and um did bear your dog did he enjoy seeing the alien dogs yeah he didn't he he didn't bark so he was obviously terrified i'm sure he left the room at some point (laughs) they were quite scary he wouldn't have taken one of them (laughs) yeah so today um if you remember ben about 60 episodes ago, uh, we discussed time travel on the podcast. Can you cast your mind back that far? I can, I can. And we featured a weird artefact known as the London Hammer. Oh, yes, uh, uh, London, Texas, yes. Yes, exa- indeed. So this was, I, I won't give you the full story, but it, it was what appeared to be a 19th century hammer found encased in 500 million year old rock. And when they broke the rock open, this hammer was inside. And uh, the people who found it had it tested. And the feedback from the testings seemed to say that both the hammer and the rock were both 500 million years old. And that was we were really unsure how that was possible. So obviously we debated time travel and various other bits around it. Yeah. Now, after the episode, I think we talked about it Um, the next episode or the next couple there was some debate about the validity of the tests that were carried out and the object itself and I was talking to someone about it the other day and they mentioned a couple of other mysterious objects you know me Ben I thought here comes an episode (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. So I, I thought I'm going to start a journey to find a genuine, ancient, and unexplained artifacts because they they've got to be out there. So mm-hmm. I've been on a bit on a bit of a journey in my research. To be honest, Ben, I started full of hope. Then I got incredibly despondent. And hopefully as the episode progresses, I got a bit philosophical and hopeful at the end. So bear with me on this journey that I've been on trying to put this episode together. I will bear with you and I hope Bear Bear with you. (laughs) Yeah, my my dog's called Bear, so (laughs) he's bearing, bearing with me. Let's start my journey with uh, an object called the Roman dodecahedron. I don't know if you've heard of this object before. No, I haven't, no. Really fascinating. So over a 100 of these objects have been found dating back to the 2nd and 3rd century, so Roman times, hence the first bit of the name. The object itself, so about 100 of these have been found. They're roughly about 8 to 10 centimetres in size. They're made of bronze or stone. They've got 12 sides, hence the other bit of the name, Roman Mm. dodecahedron. Uh, they have holes of various sizes on most sides with knobbly ridges on the outside. So for me, it looks a bit like a, a metal or stone de- dodecahedron-shaped puzzle or Rubik's Cube or something like that. That's okay, what, yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like to me. Now, there, are, I, there aren't really any written references about it or what it does, and the object has baffled archaeologists as to what its purpose was there's been a number of theories about it i guess because of the numbers of sides on it it's been linked to something to do with the signs of the zodiac used it was it used to measure the angle of the sun there's been debate about whether it's a candlestick holder or religious objects a toy or a game like a some weird dice a crop planting aid even some kind of military device And, of course, Hmm. it did spark, could it have been left behind by ancient aliens? Mm. But it is a genuine artefact. There's been over 100 of them found, but nobody's quite sure or has been quite sure what it was. So seems like a good contender for my Mysterious Objects episode, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. And then I came across uh, something uh, that was posted a couple of years ago by a YouTuber called Martin Hallett. Uh, and he decided to try and figure out this baffling conundrum. He started by creating his own Roman dodecahedron on a 3D printer. He says he thought about the size of the objects, the number and the shape of the holes, and the fact that this Roman object has only really been found in relatively northern locations. And he came up with a theory that he puts to to the test in his YouTube video. We'll put links to the video on our social media so you can check it out. But spoiler alert, I'm going to go straight for the what he thought it was. Mm. And when you watch the video, it's quite amazing. Basically, by using wool and a needle and the object itself, he manages to create a perfect woolen glove. Oh, <laughs> amazing. It's quite amazing because if you watch the video, I do recommend you watch it. He's doing all this, you know, sewing-y stuff. And you're thinking, what the heck is he doing? And then he just pulls the object out at the end. And it looks like his kid. 
and his kid puts it on. It's a little woolen glove, multicolored woolen glove. Good now, grief. <clears throat> so, yeah, it doesn't categorically prove that that's what the object was for, but it is a pretty convincing video. It doesn't feel like the video is a hoax. Of course it could be. Um, but it made me think how easy it is to get carried away with a mystery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, by rather jumping to the conclusion, like, oh, it's ancient aliens or something that was used to measure the sun. If it is true, it was something far more simple and practical that it was used for, and that's creating a glove. Right, right. So the Roman dodecahedron, fascinating, but my f- search for a truly mysterious object continued. And I moved on to the Droper Stones. I don't know if you've heard of these either. No, again, no, this is all new. This is fantastic. These are mysterious objects that have been linked to a potential alien civilization on Earth. The story goes that in 1938, an expedition led by a Chinese archaeologist, Dr. Chai Pu Tei, into the Bayan Kara Ula in China, made an astonishing discovery. Nearby caves held traces of an ancient culture which once occupied them. Buried under thick layers of dust, hundreds of stone discs lay scattered about the cave's interior. There seemed to be nothing spectacular initially. This, is my, this kind of blew my mind. You can see why I got excited about this. But the discs turned out to be eerily similar to phonographic records. Good they, were, they were nine inches in diameter, a circle cut into their centres and an obvious spiral groove. They were believed to be more than 10,000 years old. Gets more mysterious, the spiral groove turned out that it was composed of tiny hieroglyphics. Good Lord. When studied and translated, it was revealed that the discs tell an amazing story of a spaceship that crashes into the mountain, piloted by people who called themselves the Droper. At least that's what Sun Um Nu, the Chinese researcher in charge of the Droper Stones, concluded. While his announcement started the world at first, he was subsequently ridiculed by most of the scientific community and he went on self-imposed exile in Japan. Russian researchers requested the disc for studying and China sent a couple of them to Moscow. Uh, there was an article that was apparently published in a Soviet magazine called Sputnik in which they describe an experiment where the disc was supposedly placed on a special turntable and they were shown to vibrate or hum in an unusual rhythm as though an electrical charge was passing through them. However, the research wasn't continued or at least wasn't made public. You can see why I got really excited about this story, right? Yes, yes, I can, yeah. It's got, it's got the lot. Yeah. So it did sound promising. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we did talk about the dangers of sourcing stories from the internet, right? Yeah. I, I found versions of this stories from multiple sources online. But as we said the other week, we then like either to back them up with some kind of evidence offline or at least going to, how should we put it, more reputable or trust, trusted sources online. Mm. 
So I'd started doing a bit of fact checking because you've got to admit that seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, especially, it really does. Yeah. Especially our conversations about the golden disc going into space. My mind was whirring, going, maybe these discs came here first before the ones we sent to space. God, imagine if this alien civilization gets hold of our disc and go, oh, this is similar to the records we've got here. Mm. So I did some fact checking uh, and. Uh, I came, one website I used was Science 2.0, and they pointed out some potential salient red flags. So we discussed multiple websites, and a bit, as we mentioned on the episode the other week, about the truth, there seemed to be a lot of cutting and pasting of the same story, even the same words, even though it was on multiple sites. There's no evidence that the names mentioned in the article are real or that the official universities or bodies mentioned in the full thing, I've done an abridged version of it here, uh, actually exist. Some stories have remains of an alien skeleton found, um, as well as the stones. Neither the stones nor this supposed alien can be found anywhere. Pictures that were posted of the stones are very similar to what they call bi discs in Chinese ceremony, which is a Chinese ceremonial ornament. Amazing mm. thing, very beautiful, but they're not as described in this story. Right, right. So I can't, I can't say it's false, but it there's enough risk there that it just it maybe go no i've not found my genuine mysterious object here because there's just too much up in the air about it so you you think that that was like some deliberately trying to read us leads leaders astray or perhaps just a journalist that got carried away and people cut and paste yeah i think so yeah or it you know it was some hoax that had been posted in china or somewhere that has then kind of got circulated and like you said cut and paste around <clears throat> i think for me i i mean there's a lot to it's it, we often say this don't we if it seems too good to be true it probably is it probably is yeah the bit that really got me going really was that you know when they studied the hieroglyphics, it tells the story of a spaceship crashing into mountains piloted by people who called themselves the Droper. How could you work that out from hieroglyphics? Well, that I w- <laughs> it was going through my head is like who who is the guy that discovered them and what qualification does he have to read those hieroglyphics? And, yeah. yeah. And then so I got excited and then I got frustrated. And I got even more frustrated because I found lots of these on the internet when I was digging around. I found human ha- fossils of human handprints found in limestone estimated to be 110 million years old. Mm-hmm. A fossilised human finger dating around the same time. The discovery of a human footprint that was wearing a sandal, or looks like it's wearing a sandal, which dates back more, hundred, more than 300 million years ago. Not to mention an unusual block of coal discovered in uh, 124 years ago, which contained a metal cube that could have only formed that couldn't have formed naturally within the lump of coal itself, which sounds very similar to the London Hammer. Yeah, well, I was going to say those footprints. There's a um, there's a pretty mainstream book called Forbidden Archaeology, which sort of tells of these things and sort of um, says they're true. Yeah, and I'm not saying they're not true. Right, yeah, yeah. Just for me, the research I did, I just wasn't 
convinced enough to really include those as my mysterious object. So let's talk about the Antikythera mechanism. Now, this might be one that you've heard of. It's The Antikythera mechanism is a series of metallic discs and parts that date back to ancient Greece. Oh, and yeah, it, almost clockwork-like. Yes. Yes. Belie- believed to be the earliest example of an analogue computer. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. I have, I have come across this, yes. It was used to predict astrological positions and eclipses. It was discovered in 1901 and said to have been created by Greek scientists in around 87 BC. So according to Professor Michael Edmonds of Cardiff University, who led the team studying the mechanism, this is a great quote, the device is just extraordinary, the only thing of its kind. The design is beautiful, the astronomy is exactly right, the way the mechanics are designed just makes your draw drop. Whoever has done this has done it extremely carefully. He added, in terms of historic and scarcity value, I have to regard this mechanism as being more valuable than the Mona Lisa. That's um, that's fairly big kudos. It's kudos, and uh, well, again, I'll post. We always do a photo album that accompanies the episode, so we'll put some images of it. it I mean, it is a beautiful thing, and it's astounding that it was made back then. And it really is probably, I guess, it's the the forebear of um, computing. But. I was just going to say, before you reveal whether you think it is or not, what's it supposed to have been used for? Well, the it seems to be uh, it's it, it's used for predicting astrological positions and eclipses, and it can do that way into the future or into its future when it was made. So it's a way of measuring um, an astronomy measuring device, effectively. Mm-hmm. I see. Positioning of the planets and uh, eclipses. So I kind of, I love that object. It's really great, but it's not mysterious because it, it does seem pretty certain what it was for. So it's amazing, worth mentioning, but not quite mysterious. Uh, and also proven to be contemporary with people at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I see. Yep, yep, yep. Which leads me on to another one that's quite similar to that, um, called the Baghdad Battery. So this was discovered in 1938 by a German archaeologist, estimated to be 2,000 years old. Basically a clay jar containing a copper cylinder and an iron rod. It originally baffled scientists and they filled it with vinegar and found that it could produce around one volt of electricity which led to the theory it was potentially the world's first battery and was used to electroplate objects with precious metals. Mm-hmm. Now, there is, there is still some debate about that because it is a very low voltage that it produces. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a complete consensus that it is a battery but it does seem like the logical conclusion to me when you look at it and it feels like they have it has a purpose. So again, fascinating. I'm not sure it's totally mysterious. Okay. Let's move on and talk about the Piri Reese map. Now the map 
is said to be created by Ottoman admiral and cartographer called Piri Reis. Uh, it's created in 1513. It's drawn on, drawn on animal skin. It shows pretty accurately depicts the coast of Europe, North Africa. Pretty well predicts Brazil. Less accurate, but still pretty good depictions of islands in the Atlantic. Also something that could potentially be Japan. Now, Piri created the map from his own explorations and other available maps of the time, including some by Christopher Columbus, who we mentioned the other week. Mm -hmm. So the object is fascinating in itself. But the really mysterious part of it is its depiction of Antarctica. Now, we know Antarctica is more than 98% covered in glacial ice and snow, right? Yes. The continent of Antarctica was discovered in 1818, so that's several hundred years after the Piri Reis map was drawn. Yet, the map shows a landmass where Antarctica is. So, uh, the implication being it was drawn before the last ice age? Yes, because it's not shown under ice. Okay. So this that in itself is astonishing, right? Mm. But there are more curiosities about it. Um, because that coastline of this landmass was unfamiliar and therefore deemed inaccurate for hundreds of years, until 1961. It was then that Captain Lorenzo W. Burroughs, a captain in the U.S. Air Force Cartography Division, noted that the outline of the southern landmass seemed to accurately depict the coastline of the continent under the ice. Oh. So so this is a clue that perhaps somebody did know what they were doing. Yeah. That, well, that, there's the confusion bit. You could kind of go, because we talked about this the other week with Christopher Columbus, didn't we? Yeah. If if Antarctica was discovered in 1818, well, it could have been discovered before then. Do you know what I mean? And even could yes, exist yes, on yes. maps before then. The weird bit is the fact of it not being shown under ice because, like you said, that would have been before the previous ice age. So, that, that, yes. that, you know, we're not talking hundreds of years. Um, and And does it show everything else accurately around it? Does it show the coastline of Europe and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, let me get on to that. Uh, so, I'll come on to that, I will. It is, is this possible, given the limitations of surveying equipment in the 1500s? One theory is the map was drawn using information on older maps that were made long ago and before Antarctica was covered in ice. In that case, it's proof of an advanced and much older civilization that predates our own civilization. Which you yes. kind of think that's what I'm looking for. Yes, yes. So you've got to get into the skeptical side. So here comes the skeptical side. Skeptics have pointed out that there are many inaccuracies on the map, which people tend to forget about when they look at the Antarctica section. So, and it's the point you were just alluding to. It may kind of accurately depict roughly what Antarctica looks like under the ice, but, you know, there are a huge chunk of it that aren't accurate at all, which you would expect if it was based on other maps, right? Um, 
there's also a theory that the landmass on the map may not be Antarctica at all. Uh, not even mentioning how maps from an ancient civilization from when Antarctica wasn't covered in ice would have survived, physically could have survived that long. So, yeah, there seems to be a feeling that, you know, like you do in maps where you move bits around, they're not always to scale and you might have, you know, you see it on the weather maps, don't you, for Scotland, some of the Scottish Isles have moved into different places. Yeah. Or, made bigger because you can't you don't want to show you're, all that you're trying space. But, and you're trying to represent something that's a globe on a flat paper yeah, yeah. exactly and i think i i could be wrong about this but i think most of the globes that we look at are not properly to scale are they no no apparently not yeah so i feel i was getting closer with my search for a genuine mysterious artifact because there is weirdness about it but this one especially got me thinking about how in a couple of thousand years our ancestors might discover a mysterious object from our civilization. Buckaroo. Might, yeah, might be confused. Well, it's funny you said that because I mentioned it earlier. First thing that came into my mind was what would happen if someone dug up a Rubik's Cube? If like all records of Rubik's <laughs> Cubes are gone. And trying yes, to figure yes. out what the purpose would be. And especially given the fact that the colours would have faded. Yeah. Oh, very much so, yeah. So you'd have this one coloured object with all these interchangeable parts that moves. You know, it took me back to the Roman dodecahedron. You could see, oh, was it a bizarre remote control? <laughs> was it a military device? You know, did it bring yes. Satan if you moved it around in the <laughs> right way? You could just see it, can't you? I can, yeah, completely. So, you can see how this episode, putting it together, was making me feel frustrated and downbeat, right? Because mm. I just I couldn't quite come across what I needed to find. And then I came across an article that blew my mind and changed my perspective in terms of what I'd been looking for. I came across this article in the Atlantic magazine, and it's by Adam Frank. I'm going to read a slightly abridged version of it, but I wanted to keep a lot of the detail in here, so bear with me. Of course. So, Adam says, It only took me five minutes for Gavin Schmidt to outspeculate me. Schmidt is the director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, also known as GIS. They are a world-class climate science facility. One day last year, I came to GIS, this is Adam, with a far-out proposal. In my work as an astrophysicist, I began researching global warming from an astrobiological perspective. This meant asking whether any industrial civilizations that rise on any planet will, through its own activity, trigger its own version of climate shift, or I guess climate change. Hmm. I was vis visiting GIST that day, hoping to gain some climate science insight and perhaps collaborators, and that's how I ended up in Gavin's office. Just as I was revving up my pitch, Gavin stopped me in my tracks. Wait a second, he said. How do you know we're the only time there's been a civilization on our planet? It took me a few seconds to pick my jaw off the floor. 
I'd certainly come into Gavin's office prepared for eye rolls at the mention of exo-civilizations, but the civilizations he was asking about would have existed many millions of years ago. Could we tell if there'd been an industrial civilization that deep in time? We never got back to aliens. Instead, the first conversation launched a new study that was published in the International Journal of Astrobiology. Though neither of us could see it at that moment, Gavin's penetrating question opened a window not just onto Earth's past, but also onto our future. The next bit is the bit that is fascinating for me. He says... We used to imagine extinct civilization in terms of sunken statues and subterranean ruins. These kind of artifacts of previous societies are fine if you're only interested in timescales of a few thousand years. But once you roll the clock back to tens of millions of years or hundreds of millions of years, things get more complicated. When it comes to direct evidence of an industrial civilization, things like cities, factories, roads, the geological record doesn't go past what we called the Quaternary period, which is 2.6 million years ago. For example, the oldest large-scale stretch of ancient surface lies in the Negev Desert. It's just 1.8 million years old. Older surfaces are mostly visible in cross-sections via something like a cliff face or a rock cut. Go back much further than the Quaternary, and everything has been turned over or crushed to dust. So I find that fast. That bit's fascinating. Yeah. The evidence of a civilization millions of years old, even an advanced one, could be completely lost. Yes. Yes. And he goes on to say, if we're going back this far, we're not only talking. We're not talking about human civilizations anymore. Homo sapiens didn't make their appearance on the planet until just three hundred thousand years or so ago. That means the question shifts to other species, which is why Gavin called the idea that they've been that they worked on the Silurian hypothesis after an old Doctor Who episode with intelligent reptiles, which I thought was quite cute. Mm. <clears throat> so could researchers find clear evidence that an ancient species built a relatively short-lived industrial civilization long before our own? Perhaps, for example, some early mammal rose briefly to civilization building and making something about 60 million years ago. There are fossils, of course, but the fractions of life that get fossilised is always minuscule and varies a lot depending on the time and habitat. It would be easy, therefore, to miss an industrial civilization that lasted only 100,000 years, which would be 500 times longer than our industrial civilization has made it so far. Given that all direct evidence would be long gone after many millions of years, what kind of evidence might then still exist? The best way to answer this question is to figure out what evidence we'd leave behind if human civilization collapsed in its current state of development. Now that our industrial civilization has truly gone global, humanity's collective activity is laying down a variety of traces that will be detectable by, science, by scientists hundreds of million years in the future. The extensive use of fertilisers, for example, keeps 7 billion fed, but it also means we're reducing the planet's flow of nitrogen into food production. Researchers should see this characteristic of nitrogen showing up in sediment from our era. Likewise, our relentless hunger for rare earth elements used in electronic gizmos 
Far more of these atoms are now wandering around the planet's surface because of us than would otherwise be the case. They might also show up in future sediment too. Even our creation and use of synthetic steroids has now become so pervasive that it too may be detectable in geological strata 10 million years from now. And then there's plastics. Studies have shown the increased amounts of plastics, marine litter deposited on the seafloor. The big question is how long any of these traces of our civilization will last. In our study, we found that each had the possibility of making it into future sediments. Ironically, however, the most promising marker of humanity's presence as an advanced civilization is the byproduct of one activity that may threaten it most. When we burn fossil fuels, we release carbon back into the atmosphere that once was part well, that was once part of living tissues. But he goes on to say, there is a conundrum here. If an earlier species industrial activity is short-lived, we not, may not be able to see it. He goes on to talk a lot about, so this is where I've abridged it, about carbon records, temperature spikes, um, and says, spikes mostly show us Earth's timescale for responding to whatever caused it, not necessarily the timescale of the cause. So it might take both dedicated and novel detection methods to find evidence of a truly short-lived event in ancient sediment. In other words, if you're not explicitly looking for it, you may not see it. The recognition was perhaps the most concrete conclusion of our study. I think it's important that I just point out this bit. He says, it's not often that you write a paper proposing a hypothesis that you don't support. He says, Gavin and I don't believe that the Earth once hosted a 15 million year old civilization. But by asking if we could see truly ancient industrial civilizations, we were forced to ask about the generic kinds of impact our civilization might have on the planet. Yes, I see. I see exactly where he's coming from. So basically, us in the future will just be some grains of sand somewhere in the strata. Yeah, and they may look back and say, oh, well, there was carbon increased during that time period. But I'm not sure, you know, if you go back, there are examples of big raises in, you know, there there is evidence like that of massive change, isn't it? We put it down to a catastrophic, catastrophic, can't speak, we put it down to a catastrophic event or whatever, but there's no reason why it couldn't have been an ancient civilization causing that catastrophic event rather than a natural uh, occurrence. And yes, yes. It's just, it really got me thinking about how the episode started, you know, and this idea of looking for something that proves there was an ancient civilization. If it truly was an ancient civilization the chances of finding anything at all, if you're talking millions of years, are, you know, almost non-existent. And just that as a concept blows your mind, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. So we're looking for, we're looking for things that may be impossible to find because of the nature of how things exist back in time on this planet basically that it's, it's the possibilities are almost endless because i think like i suppose 
the the reason why we don't feel that intrinsically is that we see dinosaurs and you would just assume that well if you got dinosaur bones then you'd be able to see factories yeah 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 and does that mean the dinosaurs could have been some fantastic advanced technological civilization it's just their bones that are the only thing that remain we should make the flintstones almost a documentary yeah yeah so how far back sorry i i know you did say it but did we did we say that that's a, a civilization could have existed for 15 million years and and how long ago could it have gone extinct before we wouldn't be able to see anything well i think that that i think that is from my reading of it um it would have had to last for a short period of time so I, I i i couldn't quite figure out why that would be the case he was saying civilization that could have lasted maybe a hundred thousand years i guess that means i see there there there's a smaller amount that you can trace back if you if they've lasted for a lot longer you've got to think that the evidence would be spread a lot wider if you see where i'm going with that yeah um, yeah i mean they seem to be talking about something about 60 million years ago is the quote sorry 60 million years ago yeah perhaps some early mammal rose briefly to civilization about 60 million years ago because obviously the further you go back the less chance there is of finding it yeah and then there was presumably is there an implication that there's a big extinction event or i think that's what they're getting at with you know i think they're trying to make that tie with what i took away from it and maybe this wasn't their ultimate intention they're definitely trying to raise the awareness of climate change and how you can bring about your own destruction i think what it spoke out to me is if that happens don't even think well at least there'll be some record that we were here because mm. mm. <laughs> there may not be it, it could be like we just never existed. Well, there are those people, some of them with a lot of credibility, who say something similar happened on Mars. Yeah, and and it's funny you say that because that's where I went to right at the end of this because then it did get me thinking about it, you know, about life on Mars, not, not my Bowie obsession. Mm. But... You know, we know that Mars once had an atmosphere and most likely had water, lost its atmosphere over four billion years ago. So the chances of finding evidence of life or a civilization on Mars is a real long shot as well. And it's something that I'd not really thought about. Because you kind of think, you know, you can chip up on Mars, dig up a few fossils, job done, right? Yes. But, but that seems if if it follows what this article is saying, that seems very unlikely. Now, there are three space exploration projects gearing up to find life on Mars. Probes from the America, the United Arab Emirates and China will launch uh, this summer, so they're due to launch over the summer. 
It's my understanding that they will look for chemical traces of fossils or signs of potential life. So kind of like he's saying in the article, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, you're going to find this like Roman dodecahedron somewhere under a rock on Mars, <laughs> or you're going to find a full, full fossil of a Martian. But these things are just going to be looking for these chemical elements that he talks about in more detail in the full paper to try and work out things like an extinction event and could some of those be caused by industrialised activity. But certainly digging up fossils or an ancient artefact seems almost impossible, given the time frame. So where does that leave us with things like um, the hammer and, you know, the... There's a plethora of things which come from, you, you know, very ancient times that um, supposedly have no origin. Yeah. Are, are, are they just all fakes or well, flukes? T- to be fair to them, they're not saying it's impossible to find these things, but they're saying given the processes that happen, it's extremely unlikely. But, you know... So that doesn't prove to me that the hammer is either a deliberate fake or a, what's the word, a freak event that managed to put the two things together, forgetting Mm. the going back and, you know, time checking that the hammer was actually 500 million years. If you put that bit aside, you know, it could be a natural fake, let's say, or a faked fake, but... I don't think it completely rules out that it could exist. I mean, it's certainly when people talk about the Piri Reese map and, you know, it being put together from maps that existed before Antarctica was in the Ice Age. I just can't see how that's possible in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but maybe some, maybe, maybe something like the London Hammer... You know, the chances of finding it are, I don't know, I haven't done the map. But you'd be like winning the lottery multiple times. But as we've done on the show, people do win the lottery multiple times. So who knows? Yeah. I tell you, it does make me think that our stewardship of this planet, we better step up our game because we're burying um, extremely toxic and hazardous nuclear waste. And if our civilization disappears, whatever comes beyond it may not know what that's what it is because it won't appear to be anything other than some dust, which is going to be, you know, lethal. Yeah, well, it did make me think about um, any species. You know, it's about keeping the species going, right? And, And I wonder whether we almost have some arrogance or at least comfort in the fact that even if we do all go there will be signs and traces of our, you know you again you see it in sci-fi movies don't you where they kind of go into the underground tunnel and suddenly a hologram appears that is from a museum do you know what i mean oh you want to know about our civilization but you yeah. realize you realize and it's almost like that makes us feel a little bit better about our destruction 
but that planet of the apes yeah but that's quite bleak right it's like yeah. we could destroy ourselves and in a few million years it would be like we never existed yeah yeah quite possibly it makes it seem almost futile collecting those panini stickers <laughs> yeah i'm looking at my cd collection now <laughs> stick them in a vault yeah <laughs> <laughs> Stick him in a 500 million year old rock. Yeah, you'd have to. Wow, there's a there's a thing. So, so at our best evidence of maintaining uh, evidence of our population is probably digital and probably extraterrestrial in the, uh, you you know the the de- deliberate and actual meaning of the word as yeah. in. And then I started thinking about space junk. I thought, oh, that could be yeah. it. But space junk will eventually, you know, crash to orbit in, in, a, in a reasonably short time frame. So, you know, things that we've sent into space are probably our best hope. We're back to Voyager, yeah. weirdly, and the golden records. The golden records may be out there existing long yes. after any trace of us has completely gone. Which in, what yes. in some ways that makes me feel better that somebody will be listening to Louis Armstrong and Mozart, maybe, if they can work out how it works, um, you know, long yeah. after we've gone. And like we never existed, but Louis Armstrong st- will still exist. Wouldn't it be cool if that previous civilization had done the same and just a few million or billion uh miles ahead of voyager is is their craft (laughs) (laughs) what if they crashed into each other and destroyed each other that would be irony but you can see why i got so excited about the records found in the cave that would just started reading that was like oh my god that's amazing oh yeah but no but i feel i feel (laughs) we're back to our theme aren't we we are the podcast that takes you further from the truth. <laughs> <'Cause> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that somehow gave me some solace in my journey through my mysterious artefacts. It's like, Peter, you were looking for the wrong thing. Actually, a lack of mysterious artefacts is more mysterious than finding one. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so maybe when we go... If we go on our summer holidays this year, some of that sand on the beach could be a villa that belonged to some extremely advanced marsupial millions of years ago. Yeah. 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 We might be treading on their stereo system. I sort of like that thought. I mean, not that I want to tread on their stereo system, but (laughs) it's more romantic than, um, you know, just beating up shells, isn't it? But it is mind-blowing, you know, however unlikely it is. And like I said, the guys who wrote this don't say they don't believe that there was an ancient civilization. They're just saying it's possible there was. And if there was one, it would be quite difficult for us to know that there was one. And that that's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you. That is a lot to, <laughs> a lot to think about. <laughs> I know. I, you can see why I was kind of frustrated, philosophical, mind-blowing. Yeah, I feel like I need to lie down after that one. Yeah. 
it's the enormity of the timescales is the thing that's really hard to get your head around. Yeah, and it's like that clock, isn't it, where it's like, I can't, I don't remember the exact things, but if, you know, the evolutionary clock, well, if we've been on it a second or whatever compared to a 24 hours or whatever it is. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, bit like the size of space, there's a long way to go back in time as well. Yes, yes. Well, don't have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, no one will know about it in... 100 million years so don't worry about it don't worry if you if you have nightmares and wet the bed nobody will know in 100 million years time well that's something we can always take solace in yeah. um on that well I, it's funnily funnily enough i'm working the next episode is going to be um not a million miles away from where you are but it's going to be set in space and um concerning some mysterious things happening in the rings of Saturn. Wow. I always say, in space, no one can hear D-Ream. Well, (laughs) those people on the space station are very lucky. But, you know, also I'd say things can only get better. Yeah, I'll go with that. Excellent. Just before you go, do you think think anyone has got a fishing ship shop called Things Can Only Get Batter? Surely they must have. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm there off is, to I'm off to go and research it. There's one near us called the Codfather, isn't there? Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's another like. one called Off the Hook. You have to have if you're going to sell fishing chips, it has to be a pun. Yeah, it has to be. Excellent. All right. See you next time on the Quantum Mechanics. the quantum mechanics.